This episode of The Great Equalizer is brought to you in part by Greenpeace. Plant-powered nutrition for your little one, made with love in an earth-friendly way. This is The Great Equalizer, a parenting podcast about the realities of being a mom or dad in modern Josie. We are your hosts, Sam and Charlene, and we believe we're all rocking the same kind of crazy. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's have a laugh about the ups and downs of our current upside down. Hashtag no judges. This week on The Great Equalizer, Sam takes 24 hours. Charlene hits another mommy milestone. And we welcome parenting guru Meg Fora onto the show to chat first foods, feeding your family, and her exciting new partnership with South Africa's favorite meal kit service, You Cook. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Finding you. You know, I'm better today. I was not in a good space yesterday. <laughs> Tell me about the 24 hours that you've taken. Well, you know, you know when I'm upset and, you know, I, I, I would like to tell myself, like, get over it like, and move on. I actually say, okay, I, I will move on in 24 hours. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, today I feel much better. I was um, typing up our show notes and, you know, sending out a couple of emails. And if we had recorded yesterday... I would have been have in been tears. A- I would have been like, I hate my life right now. This is awful. Aww. It sucks. The work at home juggle is not a joke. It's I've lost my sense of humor, Charlene. I'm done. And yeah. yesterday was a I, I have to find it. Let's can we just put our heads together quickly and find another word or phrase for shit show? Because <laughs> I say it far too often on the show, and I need I need something else. Like it's a it's a circus. It's yeah. Maybe that's a, that circus is a good one because it it literally feels like it's a firstly it's a musha juggling act, and secondly it's like you just feel like you're getting a handle on this juggling act, and then the crazy pony with a acrobat on it runs in to the arena so yeah circus is a good one I mean I'm I'm sending emails and writing um, articles and posts and that with a baby on the hip and a um, toddler asking I don't know if I can still call him toddler but a kid my kid you know asking for snacks and crap and and nagging me to go with him to the toilet and and whatnot you know all the the parenting norms and Mm. I'm juggling all of this like it's normal and it's not. It's just not normal. So why I'm taking 24 hours, I have to set the scene. Okay, so Ray, hashtag not an arsehole, always the the supportive husband and very hands-on. And I I feel like I need to stop using that as a caveat because it's it's a stock standard. He co-parents. He's my co-parent. Um, but he, yeah, but a, he's not absent in this co-parenting no. thing. So, because you, I, I get why you say you have to say it because most or a lot of households don't look like that. There's just the mom juggling it all, and the dad's off at work doing exactly. his thing. And so, kudos to all of those moms or dads, you know, doing it all alone. I'm not, and I'm drowning. So, yeah, exactly. picture picture this, right? Here's Ray, my 
ultra uber supportive husband he had a podcast uh, to edit and package yesterday and to get out and um the deal was you know every morning we check in and we go okay what's your day looking like what's mine what do you need to get done what do i need to get done and we just swap over responsibilities and the mm-hmm. deal was that he would get his stuff done in the morning and then have hands free for uh, to take over from me mm. in the afternoon when he got by the time he got back i was at red with mm. With both of the kids, I was, um, I had been trying the whole morning because Elijah is home two days a week and yesterday was one of his home days. I'd been trying the whole morning not to get him to, to watch TV or in, he actually wanted to play PlayStation. And uh, it's just become a bit of an unhealthy obsession. You know, those games are designed to just, you know, suck you in, suck yeah. you in and, and, you get addicted to the stuff. So we, mm. we have, I mean, he's four. If he was 14, 15, I'd be like, whatever, just make sure your chores are done and you've exercised a bit or and you've eaten. Otherwise, go forth and play. You're a teenager, I suppose TV games is par for the course. But as a mm. four-year-old boy, I'm going, e- I, e- I'm not 100% sure about this. I'd, I'd even rather have him watching TV all day because he gets mm. bored of that. He does mm-hmm. not get bored of the PlayStation. And so I spent the whole morning um, warding him off. And he almost humors me. You know, he'll, okay, mom, we'll play with the sticker activity book. And then can I play Astro? Astro is the game on the PlayStation. And I'm that like, that he wants to play, yeah. No, Elijah. It's, and I had set a time for four o'clock, you know. And Every and he has no sense of time, so every five minutes he's asking me, "Is it four is o'clock? It four yet? o'clock? Is it four yeah. o'clock yet?" And so it, it was just this constant, constant fight, and me keeping the TV completely off until four o'clock. Then he has a choice: he can watch TV or play on the iPad or play PlayStation. But the TV and all devices stay off until four o'clock. Until four o'clock, yeah. But I've now hit the red. I'm I'm juggling Noah, I'm feeding him and I mean I'm doing all the mom things. You know, I've got like on one hand I've got him on the boob and on the other hand I'm busy helping stick stickers in this book or colouring in or whatever to to keep Elijah occupied. Um getting nothing done in the house and a, a you know, I'm just, I'm at red when Ray walks in. Then when he walks in, I'm supposed to seamlessly like take over my work. And he kind of swoops in and is always the hero. <laughs> you know, mom's just had a night, mom's just been a, a bitch and a total nightmare. And dad swoops in and Ray's just like, and I just burst into tears when Ray walked in. And Ray said, okay, I've got this, go take a lap. I'll start on food and, and whatnot. So it was lunchtime. I was like, cool, thanks. What happens? Ray needs to start on food and he um, switches on the TV for Elijah. What do you want to watch? Ooh. Do you want to watch Blaze or do you want to watch Paw Patrol? And I walk in there Ooh. and I'm just like, I've spent the whole morning telling him no and you come in and you say yes. Oh, shoot. Yeah. I mean, and he, Ray handles it well. He, he was like, I'm so sorry, I didn't. I didn't know. No, that four o'clock was the time. Yeah. Um, he knew four o'clock was the time for PlayStation, but not for TV. And it for TV in general. Okay. It was just. I mean, now looking back, I'm just like Sam, you crazy bitch. But when you're in it, you 
you're so I was so overwhelmed and then also he swoops in and he's just like don't worry I've got this baby on the hip kid in front uh, kid in front of the tv he gets all the meals ready and you know even manages to put bloody butter on my potato and I I can barely wrangle my head to like think straight and I had just <laughs> like been on toilet duty with Elijah because now he's too scared suddenly to go to the toilet by himself so I've got no one on the boob and I'm chaperoning in the bathroom and wiping bums at the same time I don't know if you've ever done that like you're holding one kid while wiping the kid the bum of the other one it's crazy yeah. and so I'm like I really just feel like an octopus 99% of the time just managing all of these things and uh, my next to do was gonna be the lunch but Ray walks in and he's just like oh well you haven't had lunch yet let me do I'm just actually kind of sick and over the mother load and the dad walking in and being looking like the hero and he knows it's not like that and he doesn't come he doesn't come across that way but from an outsider looking in like when my in-laws or or my parents are are around um it looks like he's he's got his shit together more of a handle I'm, on things I'm than you do yes yeah. yeah so but it's perspective he comes in with a different energy with a, he's just walking in freshly into this equation you have been in there for hours with whinging and whining and fighting and everything being a struggle so he is gonna feel more energized and up to it and like he has a handle on it because give him four or five hours of that and he'll also get hurtful then you'll be able to walk in with a fresh bath of energy well that's my thing as well and especially for breastfeeding moms I think but I, I I would assume that there's a ton of moms breastfeeding or not that don't feel equipped to just leave their kid for five hours at a go not that you don't trust your husband but like the mom guilt sets in right yeah no you can't you do just worry about it you end up the worry ends up weighing more than the actual time apart you're like no i need to get back i need to get back because this is like finishing me so that's the big difference is ray gets that time away even he even ran an errand where he had to go get a hard drive across town um and so i envied that 40 minute drive <laughs> yeah, it's sick. I know. It's sick. I know. I feel the same. I know. So he he doesn't ever. It's very rarely that he experiences the onslaught of both of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've also I've also noticed that in our household, it's like Rhett always. He only really has like he'll give me a break. He'll take one of the kids with him. I'm like, gee, thanks. I'm still stuck with the other <laughs> one. Like, um, take both. Well, no, no, taking both of them would be a bit of a challenge, you think? Yeah. <laughs> I I had a thought and I'm like, okay, Sam, a little bit of reckoning here. Instead of giving Ray the silent treatment or like whinging in his ear, how dare you this? You don't understand that. You know how many times I've said, you don't get it, you know? Mm. I thought, I've, I've been thinking like, what would make me feel better? What would help this? And the one thing that I can think of is if he just turned to me and said, love, I don't know how you do it. I've I never gotten that. I've never gotten that. And, mm. and you don't want to be smug about it. No, but just the acknowledgement that what you're going through is, yes, it's expected of you because you're a parent and you signed up for this. But just the, the validation or acknowledgement that this is hard and... I honestly 
I can acknowledge how hard you're trying here, how difficult this must be. Mm. I hear you. It's it's this it's like same shit, different day <laughs> scenario. Mm. It's the mother load. I'm sick of it. And yesterday I'm like, okay, I can I can be a complete um, banshee in my household or I can give myself 24 hours. And today I'm already feeling a lot more energized and feeling a bit myself. So, I mean, it comes in waves and I, mm. I think I've just got to ride this because I do think that especially early days with two now and the baby who's so dependent on me, you know, as the child grows and is less dependent on my actual body for sustenance, it'll get better, but it's still hard. So mm. I just thought that I'd let myself sit in that for 24 hours and move on. Well, good on you for having the, the presence of mind to to do that because I wouldn't. I would just, as irrational as I get, I'd just like fly off the handle, lose my <laughs> shit, and then like tomorrow be like, oh, I probably could have done that differently. Oof. But yeah, so good on you for that. Charlene, you, my friend, hit a mommy milestone. <laughs> oh, my God. Tell I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to I'm actually embarrassed because I should have hit this milestone years ago, but I didn't. I just, I, you know what? I'm guilty. And if here we go, this is hopefully a no judges environment. So judge away if you want to. I don't care. I was supposed to obviously take my kids to the dentist when they were like one or like started getting teeth. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a hard and fast rule, if I'm honest with you. I didn't do that because I am terrified of the dentist. Like I'm I'm terrified of a few things in this life. One being the dark. I'm terrified like a little girl of the dark. I'm terrified of the dentist like a little child. Like I literally have to have someone there hold my hand. I have to take like calming meds. I walk in and I smell the dentist and I hear that little suction thingy and I have like a panic attack. Like I start shaking. I want to pass out. I That's how bad I am. And I'm the same with take with needles and blood and so my recent little stint in hospital you can only imagine how difficult that was for me um so I think I I just avoided it and kept thinking okay this year will go this year will go and I haven't taken the kids to the dentist so I had actually set out this year to because we were visiting over Christmas, we were visiting with someone and she was telling me that she every year gets the traveling dentist to come do to her house to do her kids checkup. And I was like, who's this traveling dentist? And she was telling me all about it. And I was like, I'm booking the traveling dentist because maybe for the kids, it would be cool if they come to the house and that be their first experience. And mm. she can also check retin eye as she does procedures. Obviously, they don't, I don't know if they take x-rays if they need to. There's certain things I think you do need to do in a consultation room. Um, but she does checkups and whitening and cleaning and all sorts of things at your house. So I was like, well, that's what we're going to do. Then I had inquired about pricing and to check whether we can put it through the medical aid. And then I landed up in hospital and we subsequently depleted our entire medical savings account with my little um, ill stint in January. Oh, so medical like, okay. aid. How we love mm. you. Mm. I was like, okay, well, maybe I will then just uh, wait like two months and then get the traveling dentist to come and then I'll just pay cash because she has a cash practice anyway. 
then last week, Jessie gets this, she keeps saying her tooth is sore and I look and I can see at the back, it looks like her, her molars are, are still busy. She's still busy teething, which I know according to some people is still quite late at three years old to still be cutting teeth, but it is her last two that she's cutting and uh, before her next ones at six should be coming out. And, um, this tooth, it's like the tooth is half out of the gums, not completely out. So the one morning she's driving to school and Red looks back and there's just like blood streaming down her face, dripping onto her shirt. You didn't tell Josh me this part. No, oh, we didn't get a chance. So Josh flips out. He's like, Daddy, Jesse's going to bleed today. He's oh shouting. God. Josh is a total panicker, just like his mom. And Jesse's <laughs> just like, What's going on, people? Like, why are you looking at me like this? So she was eating in the car, and I think maybe something had gotten into the tooth. And now, in hindsight, I, I've seen her. She scratches at the tooth with her finger. And I think she had either bitten or aggravated the gums that was still covering a part of the tooth. Mm. And then it started bleeding. And now, because you know what it's like when your gums are is irritated, it keeps bleeding every time you eat something or whatever, it aggravates it. So I give her a little bit of antibacterial stuff for her gums. We put some Prodol on her teething powder just to numb the pain. She goes to school. The next day, the principal messages me, listen, I'm no dentist, but I've looked at this tooth and it looks like there could be an infection. The gum is quite far removed from the tooth. So luckily her sister is a dentist. So she offers to just send a picture to the sister to get advice. So the sister comes back. No, no, no. You got to get this kid to the dentist immediately. I was like, well, I should have just fucking taken them in January. So <laughs> like, like I planned to again. And you're like so embarrassed because this has now become like a school topic of discussion. And yes. Like and I'm like, I fucking knew I should have had these kids at the dentist a long time ago. And I'm, I'm saying to the principal, look, she, her molar, she is still getting her molar so I suspected that it's probably just the gums bleeding but if you think that it looks like an infection let me just go which I can appreciate because I like that the the, the teachers are like on top of things they notice mm -hmm. things they're aware of things because the last thing you want is have your kid at a school where they don't notice things like that yeah. you know so I appreciated that. And then um, she messaged her sister and her sister came back saying look now I would probably get it to a dentist as soon as possible because it doesn't look right and you don't want it to lead to any other infections. This happens in the middle of one of the craziest work weeks for Rhett and I. Every single thing that could have possibly gone wrong last week as far as our uh, uh, work is concerned with clients, everything was just last minute changes, problems, 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 cancellations, tight deadlines. Not now to mention I'm load shedding and, like, and no water, which is a constant no water, issue in your house. Every other day, no power. Yes. And I, I, I technically should not be driving yet. Mm. So I'm like, we've got to go to the dentist, the first appointment. So the traveling dentist is not available for my urgent appointment. So finally I get the kid off to, I get an emergency appointment and the dentist happens to be running a special for consultations. It's half price. So I was like, yeah, now we're taking both of these kids for a checkup since it's half price because I'm not fucking letting this guilt gnaw at me any longer. And you so, had a tooth thing with, with Josh last year sometime, like late last year. You did. Did you have a tooth thing with Josh? Well, you had a, a mouth thing. I can't thing. even remember. There was a white thing. A mouth? Yes, man. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. Tonsil stones. Yeah. Oh, let me not get started on that. That's a story for another day. But this is quite an interesting thing. I don't think a lot of parents know about this. So maybe in one of our discussions, we must tell them about Joshua's tonsil stones. But if you're listening, go Google it. It's pretty freaking grim. Um, <laughs> and also, you will read in when you Google it that it's due to poor oral hygiene. It is not. I have it on good authority. Well, it is. It can be caused by that. But I have it on good authority from my dentist. As of Friday, that my oral hygiene that I practice with my children is perfect. There are no infections, they have no cavities, and their teeth are in perfect health. <laughs> you see, you felt guilty for nothing. Oh, my God. And the guilt, just the flipping, it just sets in. And then you start doubting yourself. And I was like, when the, when the I wasn't paranoid about this bleeding gum of Jesse's. But when the teacher was like, I worry about an infection. It doesn't look too good. And I can understand why she said that. Because it looked very grim on the picture, if you look at the tooth. It did look worse than what it was. But when we got there, the dentist confirmed exactly what I thought. The tooth is still coming out and the gum obviously just got aggravated from something she ate and she must have been picking at it and that's why. So it your mom got no Charlene. Everything's fine. It was your mom got. Yeah, that's Can true. Can I but just anyway, highlight so for our listeners that, that guys, she just, she tricked me. She tricked me. She she casually asked me. She like buried the lead completely. And she casually <laughs> asked me, Sam, have you taken Elijah to the dentist? And Sam goes, yes, I have. This is, and this, I had such a great experience. And this is what we did. We took little Jog the Frog with. Jog the Frog also did. And the dentist like <laughs> found out like what Elijah's, um, interests are and they were so they were chatting about blippy throughout and excavators and he even gave him a little <laughs> toy and I'm cutting on and then she's just like well I haven't done that and now look at my child's rotten tooth and she sends me a photo <laughs> and I had to like just swallow everything and be like oh I would never <laughs> have carried on I was busy trying to find the photos of Elijah's first dentist experience <laughs> When you sent that, and I was just like, oh no, abort mission, abort mission. What did she do? She tricked me. <laughs> no, it wasn't my intention to trick you. I was just curious because I realized I'd never asked you. And when I asked my other friend, I was like, when are you supposed to take them? She's like, as soon as they get teeth. I was like, we're folk. <laughs> So it's like, so I guess I'm like five years too late for this. I one. would never have gone on about his positive dances because then, listener, she's, she goes, Oh, well, mom of the year over here has never taken my kids. So that's just one more thing I have to feel guilty about. So I was like, Damn it. And I just no, man, walked you into doing it. it at me. And ah. you didn't make me feel, you didn't make me feel any more shit than I felt before speaking to you about it, honestly. Okay. So no, don't worry about that. Plus also, <laughs> I, I know you're not a judgy person and I, you're just someone who gives advice. So I saw it as that. You're like, oh yes, if you're looking for advice, this is what worked for me. So this is really cool. I didn't oh, see it as anything I should just wait that. until you ask though. I should have just been like, <laughs> yes, why? No, man, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> it was fine. The dentist experience was, fi was fine. The kids were happy. I took little photos. They were champs. We didn't do a toy or anything like that, but it was actually a really nice experience, and I cannot tell you how much less guilty. It, it's such a load off. It's one of those things that gnaw in the back of your mind. Like, i got to get yeah, them there. Because who wants to do it? It's like it paps me. Man. And you just, you just end up not taking them, mm. and then until it is – like you cannot get out of it any longer. And once I did it, I felt so much better. So yeah. 
Well, that is done and dusted. Well done. Um, and along with your your mommy milestone, I'm hitting some milestones all over again myself with Noah. He is now just under four months and had a small taste of watermelon yesterday. No ways. Yeah. Can you believe it? It goes so quickly. Because, so quickly. I mean, we were just talking about it on the weekend because um, my sister-in-law's baby is just two weeks older than Noah. And um, she went to the PED uh a couple of weeks back and the ped was like, okay, no, this baby seems to be like, he, he's, he's wanting solids. He seems to be ready. And I, I, I thought to myself, I'm not going to give unsolicited advice. And I'm not around the baby often enough to check if all the checkpoints are there. Like, is he holding his head up? Mm. Is he showing interest? Da, da, da. All those things you read about in books, like the key signs that a baby is ready to yes. wean. And I, I didn't say anything. And I, I just got this like cold feeling over me. I was like, no, but look, he is and he, he they've introduced it and he's loving it i i haven't obviously formally introduced anything um but i'm a lot less by the book with noah than i was with elijah and this i was feeding elijah watermelon and i was eating some myself and i was holding noah and he literally just took my hand and directed it into his mouth. And I know that they also explore with their mouth. So he's obviously looking for, I mean, it was cold. So he reacted to the cold and it's a new texture. And now it's a new taste as well. So I know all of these things, but I'm a lot more relaxed. Still, it's a bit crazy for me because I gave birth just the other day. So I know, it's I'm, insane. I'm considering how I might be uh, changing things up a bit or a lot on my weaning journey with Noah. So I thought that we would talk about it. Please remember, what we say on this podcast can only be considered the gospel on planets Sam and Charlene, respectively. Our kids and husbands can be assholes and angels at the same time. And only we're allowed to say so. And lastly, by virtue of the fact that we are women and it comes naturally to us, we reserve the right to change our minds and or contradict ourselves whenever we so choose. And we don't want to hear a damn thing about it. Hashtag no judges. So, Charlene, we've done a first foods episode before. Do you remember? I do, actually. It was with Sarah Boyens from Mascara and Mimosas. We chatted about our weaning journeys. Oh, yes. And then you enlightened us about your perfect child and his wonderful eating <laughs> um, personality and habits. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I'm going to eat those words, too. He's not so perfect anymore, let me tell you. I don't Look, I don't think at last I've spoken to a lot of Moms who feel the same, they, I mean, they want their own way when, I mean, four. Let's talk about that. The effing four is <laughs> flipping hell. I, look I, over hated the, the, I hated that year. It's the not four, a lucky year. year. I could mm -mm. see it coming towards the end of last year. I'm like, I don't like this person. Who are you? He, um, he stopped showing any interest really in foods towards the end of last year. He was, well, along the same lines that he became an outright asshole. He, he just wasn't keen on, on eating. It, and it wasn't that he didn't like it or it wasn't that he wanted something else. He was just, he just didn't have an appetite really. It's a lot better now. Um, what I ended up doing was getting a, we call it his game plate. So it's, it, it's called winner dinner. I'll link everybody up to it because it actually helped me and whether it suits your parenting ethos or not 
I'm just saying it helped me and he's eating a lot better now. I think that he was losing interest in food because mealtimes were boring. So this gameplay looks like a little board game and it has 10 slots leading up to a little winning slot at the end that's covered and you put a small treat in there and sometimes it's a chocolate or a sweet and sometimes it's a grape, a couple of grapes or a lychee or something. But I think the the not knowing what it is and leading up to it. And he is pedantic. He's a type of note, my little Capricorn. He has to start <laughs> from the beginning and systematically work his way. So he can't like start on the one block and then venture to another block and then come back to the second one. He's got to do them all in order. He loves the plates. He's eating more. Uh, so, I mean, his journey hasn't been perfect, but, you know, we're way past it, uh, actual weaning now. It was straightforward with him. Um, you are right. So <laughs> I did not have m- much issues with him, but I'm wondering if I should be doing anything different with Noah or if I should be following exactly the same route. I waited until six months for Elijah, like not a day sooner. He had butternut mixed with breast milk on the day that he turned six six months. So let me pick your brain on that a little bit. Uh, was your approach different with Jace than it was with Josh? Um, yeah, well, with Josh, I, I read a lot of clutter and I listened to a lot of people and I was, I allowed myself to be influenced too much by too many people. And, um, at four months I did try, uh, him on a little bit of, rice cereal, which I subsequently learned was a bad idea or learned was I shouldn't have done, probably shouldn't have done. Um, I don't know. I mean, the kid didn't die. He's still around. He's fine. But he is a very Well, he's got an extra finger from all that formula. Yes, of course. Yeah, from that formula that I gave him, of course. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I wonder what new listeners must be thinking about this conversation. Go back to our breastfeeding, our boob juice episode, guys. If you're listening for the first time, you will find this joke uh, or relating to this joke in that episode. But... um, I just, I winged it and I tried to go with what my clinic sister and my pediatrician and my mom and my mother-in-law and what I read online and in books. And I, it was so confusing and I just kind of tried my way through it. And I think I ended up causing him to be more of a fussy eater because he was sensory sensitive. And instead of understanding the different person, the children have different personalities and you cannot wean every child in the same way. I never understood that concept because I was never told that or introduced to that. So um, I did want to do things differently with uh, Jess because I felt like I made a lot of mistakes. I felt like I started too early with Josh. Um, and I waited until Jessie was exactly six months old um, until I started with her, even though she was showing interest quite a way earlier I was just hell-bent you on I'm not doing it the about same it, this yeah. time around yes um even though I did have uh, I got given the uh, weaning sense book at my baby shower as a gift and I read that and they, they do talk about the early start as the social butterfly and that you can start introducing solids from four months old. So it did make me feel a little bit better, but yeah, I started around the six month mark with Jess and I did 
experiment more with flavors and different types of recipes. I followed the recipes from the book. Um, there were some really exciting uh, flavors and some stuff she loved, some stuff she hated, but I kept going with it. I, I cooked a hell of a lot of food. It was hard work, but I actually enjoyed it. And I will say that Jessie's starting to be a bit fussy now where she'll say, no, I don't like it. It tastes yucky or I don't like the smell just because she can be more verbal and she realizes mm. that she can actually protest. But she's much more of an explorer than Josh. She, I like Josh, I still pack a Sami to school for him to eat at lunch. And, and he has an apple and a yogurt and some salty cracks for breakfast because he doesn't eat oats. He doesn't eat wheat picks. He, well, he eats oats when I make it at home filled with butter and sugar. Judge me if you want. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, he doesn't eat it every day. I only, for I only shame, give it to him one, Charlene, once a shame. week. Um, he only eats it the way I make it, which isn't a health healthy. Like they make it at school with as little as possible butter and sugar, you know? Um, but he, yeah, so he doesn't explore. So he gets a packed breakfast and lunch. If he doesn't eat breakfast at home, I pack him a little cooler. And the teachers know he takes out his lunch, he helps himself, and he eats it. Uh, whereas Jess, I don't pack anything for her unless they have a picnic day at school and we have to pick a, mm. a pack, a pack, pack a picnic lunch that was a bit of a tongue twister <laughs> so um yeah she she'll be fussy some days and other days she won't but she is much more open to trying things like she'll eat all sorts of things where josh wouldn't even come near it you know so i don't know that it's all things that i did wrong i just think it's also part of his personality but we're in a much better place. Josh is starting to try new things. And we've, I've, I've, I've got a book um, for them about uh, eating the rainbow, teaching them about eating or trying to eat a rainbow. Mm. So Josh is always like negotiating. Mom, is this part of the rainbow? Is that part of the rainbow? And he's just, whenever we say, okay, we've got to remember, we've got to eat a rainbow. Then he's like, please, no broccoli. Please, no broccoli <laughs> every time. <laughs> Jesse used to like walk around as a little toddler chowing on a stem of broccoli now she won't eat broccoli anymore and josh used to eat that like chicken and broccoli bake from woolies as a mm. kid that was one of his staples that was the and only thing at least you know yeah, you're getting something in yeah into him yeah and the, now he just he won't come near it so it changes yeah it, changes it comes in waves time. like all parenting mm. stuff and charlene funny you should mention weaning sense uh, because we always say we're not the experts. And as much as I appreciate your advice, we're bringing in Meg Fora, author of Weaning Sense and so much more. Stand by. Guys, our guest today is no stranger to the South African parenting scene. In fact, Sam, didn't she write the book on South African parenting? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Occupational therapist and Baby Sense founder Meg Fora is a household name for most of us. With seven best-selling baby care books and two baby and toddler-focused businesses, it's small wonder that Meg is one of the foremost thought leaders on feeding your family. Which is why we're so damn stoked to have her on the show. Welcome, Meg. Welcome, Meg. Hi, Sam. Hi, Charlene. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. Thanks it's for being here. It's we're so been, excited. Yeah, it's been such a long time coming. I can't wait uh, to get stuck in. But we, uh, nobody's immune to what we ask all our guests. And that's, who calls you mom? 
Aha. So I am mom to three kids. Um, my son is already in his early 20s. I can't believe it. It makes me feel very old. Um, and he, he was my social butterfly baby. Very, very busy. Still an adrenaline junkie. Um, and yeah, so, so he's, he's my firstborn. Then I have a 20-year-old daughter who's at university in the UK at the moment. Um, she was my settled baby. Really, really laid back. Still to this day, easy kid. Um, and then I have my um, young teenager who is in high school, obviously, and um, she was my um, slow to warm up little one. So she liked to, to do things her way. Um, and those are my three little kitties who, well, not so little kitties who call Anymore. me mom. <laughs> yes. It sounds like your, your second, your settled baby uh, duped you into having your third. <laughs> Sam, I actually called her my con baby because I'm convinced that she conned me into having the third. And not only that, she also told me, and I was quite convinced of it that I had all the answers. And it was, I think, it was because of her that I went on and wrote Baby Sense. So yes, she's my con baby. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what Noah is to me, but I don't think he's that settled, baby. I really, don't, I don't think so. He's, he's, he gives me a bit of um, appeal, but let me not jinx it. Otherwise, he's going to treat me worse. Uh, Meg, your eldest was born in, if I'm correct, 1998, as a a young man now in his his 20s. Um, Have you been at it for for that long? Can you give us some career background? Because we all know the sense books and we all love the sense books, but how did it all begin? Yeah, so I was an occupational therapist. And to be honest with you, well, I am an occupational therapist, but to be honest with you, when I was 16, I made the choice, absolute conscious decision that I would work with babies um, doing OT. It was a, I made the call and exactly what I'm doing today is pretty much what I had wanted to do. Now, I know a lot of young teenagers aren't that lucky. In fact, you know, most aren't, but I just knew. So I ended up at university at UCT and actually most of my blocks that we do, all my practical work was actually with infants and little ones. Um, so it was just my passion from the get go. After leaving varsity, I ended up in New York where I worked in a pediatric rehab facility also with babies. Um, and then after doing some specialization courses in the States, returned to South Africa where I went into private practice. So I had this incredible theoretical knowledge and this great base for managing difficult babies and, and difficult little ones. Um, but it was when my firstborn was born in 1998 that I realized that, oh my gosh, um, it, you know, as you say, motherhood is a great equalizer. And I was completely out of my depth. And, um, and I, but I would say to my husband, look, he's getting overstimulated now or his awake time's finished. And so I started to pass on the information that is in baby sense to my husband. And eventually he said to me, you've got to write this down because I don't know what's going on here. You seem to, and you need to share it. And it was only after my second daughter was born that I actually wrote the book, um, at Baby Sense, or my second child, my daughter was born. I wrote Baby Sense. And I mean, the funny story about Baby Sense is that I, you know, it's, it's like your first child. You do think it's beautiful. You really do. Um, but you're not sure if anybody else does. And I can remember saying to my husband, um, after the book is released, you've got to go into every exclusive books and you've got to buy every book you see so that it looks like it's popular. <laughs> and of course, as things turned out, he didn't need to do that. And, and Baby Sense became a bestseller and went into reprint within two months. And yeah, I suppose the rest as they say, with regards to the books is history and um, baby sense was then followed with um, sleep sense and feeding sense and pregnancy sense and weaning sense and allergy sense and so on. So yeah, that was the story of the books. So as uh, parenting goes, you know, in motherhood, you, we, we, 
used what was available and I just missed out on weaning sense with Elijah, my first. Same happened with Charlene and she nabbed it. So she received it as a gift. Hey, Charlene. Yes. Yeah. Um, at my baby shower, actually, from just, one of my very closest friends. That was a good buy, Larish, if you're listening. Buy. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. I, I recommend it to everybody. Now... Um, I've just nabbed myself a copy for Noah. I can't get, uh, can't wait to get stuck into to weaning sense. And this has also led to a fabulous new partnership with You Cook, which is a fave um, in my household. And basically, what you've been doing or what you've signed up to do with um, You Cook is to give us moms all the expert advice we need on how to take care of our little people's mealtime needs. Can you tell us more about the partnership and how it links in with Weaning Sense? Yeah, and the partnership evolved partly because I was a UCOOK user and really believe in, in what they deliver. Um, it just was such a relief for me to, you know, each week have my box delivered and have my recipes and just be able to make the food. I love making food at home and love cooking, but I didn't like the mission of going to the shops and planning. So they took the planning away. Um, and that's a big piece of the weaning journey. I mean, there, there's a couple of things when you start to wean your baby. One is, um, you know, like, when do I start and, and, and what, what's the right food to introduce? But another one is just like the daily planning of like, you know, how, how much do I prepare? Mm. When do I introduce and peanut butter? You know, it, it's a really a minefield. So it was probably about, my gosh, it was nearly a year and a half ago. Um, I actually met with um, David Tor, who's, who's the CEO of, of UCOOK. And I said to him, David, mothers need this. Like, really, we, we, we need to talk about weaning for their little ones. We need to start their little ones off on a really good footing with regards to um, feeding. Um, I know, and um, Kath McGall, my, my um the dietitian who works with me knows that picky eating is very caught up in the way that you start your weaning journey. And mm -hmm. I was saying to Dave, my gosh, we've got to prevent this picky eating. We need to start mums off on the right footing. And so the first part of this partnership with you, Cook, is the fact that I'm going to, I'm kind of um, their, their go-to person. Kath has joined me as well. We're their go-to people about infant weaning. So we're providing a huge amount of information around weaning for, for mums and little ones. I love it. It's it's taking that um, demystification of uh, well, it's demystifying weaning for for South African moms, which is what you set out to do with the book, and now you're you're taking it even further with with this partnership with you, Cook. I've been following what you guys have been doing. I signed up for the emails. Uh, you've released some awesome recipes. I cannot wait to try Noah on the butternut and peanut butter recipe. Yeah, it's absolutely one of the favorite recipes in the book. In fact, when we were um, chatting about what we were going to do with you, Cook, um, we put a survey out and we said to moms, rate your number one recipes out of the book. And butternut and peanut butter came up as, as it. So <laughs> butternut and peanut butter is an amazing recipe because, first of all, um, in terms of taste, it is completely amazing. I mean, once you've tasted it, you will be cooking that and making that. And, you, you know, it's a great recipe and it's in the book. Um but what's also great about it is it's a wonderful way to introduce an early allergen. And, you know, the science of weaning has changed so much over the last 10, 15 years. And what we know now is that early introduction of allergens is actually very important. Whereas in the old days, so when my son, 1998, when he was born, it was like avoid allergens at all costs as late as possible. And of course, we ended up with this epidemic of allergies. And so now we know actually it's early introduction of allergens. So butternut and peanut butter is an early food. It's actually one that we introduced within a couple of weeks of, of, we, of weaning babies. And it's because we want little ones to have exposure to allergens early on. So mm. you've just answered one of our listeners' questions. We canvassed them uh, last night on Instagram and they were 
all too eager to pick your brain on first foods and feeding their families. And that was one of them, the, just how surprising it is. Because, I mean, you listen to your clinic sisters and each of us see a different clinic sister who comes from a different background and whatnot. And a lot of our, our moms are also like, what? Nuts now? I even know um, I was holding Noah yesterday. He's just turned four months and he... He, I was eating watermelon. I had fed it to his little brother, and he he kind of pulled my my hand towards him and just kind of <laughs> sucked on this watermelon. And I told my husband about it afterwards. Not such a big deal that he, you know, had a, his first taste of solids. I didn't really see it as as anything official. But Ray, my husband, said to me, "Well, now we know he's he's not allergic to melons." And I thought, "Oh, <laughs> I didn't even think about <laughs> didn't that. even think of that." Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's actually really interesting. I mean, I mean, that illustration is exactly how babies are supposed to be weaned, of course, you know, in our arms, from our, t- from our mouths, from our hands, from our plates. Um, unfortunately, you know, science has got in the way. And so we have this kind of very scientific approach to weaning babies. When does it happen and what do we introduce? But actually reaching for a piece of watermelon in your hands is absolutely natural. Um, a couple of other things that's interesting in what you said there was that, um, you in fact wouldn't know whether or not Noah was allergic to melon yet because it's actually the second introduction of a food that actually tells you whether or not they're allergic. So okay. and the first introduction of food um, doesn't create an allergic reaction. And that's because in order for an allergic reaction to come about, the body has to mount a immune response to it. So what happens with allergies is that um, something that's really should not be um, an allergy or, or not be noxious, not be dangerous, like peanuts as an example, the body mistakes for something that is dangerous. And so what it does after the first exposure is it gets the kind of artillery together and it says, come on, immune system, we need to fight this. And so you build what's you know, kind of an immune response almost to the, the peanuts as an example. And what then happens is that on the second or the third introduction, you'd actually have the exposure. Um, of course, watermelon is a bad example because I mean, almost, I don't know anybody who's allergic to watermelon. It's not really an allergen, but certainly with nuts, if he had reached for some peanut butter yesterday, you wouldn't have seen the reaction first time around, you'd see it second time. So that's why we do say to parents, introduce the um, allergens as long as your family doesn't have a background of high allergies and that puts you into the high risk category but as long as you're not in a low risk as long as you're in a low risk category introduce the nuts but watch them the second time and the third time and if they're not having a reaction second and third time you know that they're absolutely fine that's such a good tip because i mean charlene how many moms have we spoken to who go okay guys i'm starting allergens this Mm. week um, and we even knew a mom, I can't remember who it was now, Charlene, but some, someone that I know went to the hospital and sat outside the hospital and fed yes, uh, the I first remember time. that remember mom that telling us the story. I'm trying to think who she was, but I remember that discussion very well. And she yes. went in because she was so paranoid that something was going to happen. So top tip, you know, no judges if you do decide to go sit outside the hospital. We get it. But do it the second <laughs> yeah. time round. <laughs> yeah, because the first no. time round, you're probably not going to see anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Meg, yeah. I love your um, take on just taking your baby's cues and how each baby is um, different. You know, each each little person is a little person of their own. Um, and with so many... That was very... 
sorry to interrupt you, Sam, but that was one of the most helpful things to me because with my in the book, because with my firstborn, I um I obviously just went on what the clinic sister and my ped and uh, everything I was reading online told me, and I introduced foods as I thought uh, was right, and I started with the foods that they suggested were the right things, and then he somewhere along the line I made the mistake of just mostly making him the things that he liked <laughs> as opposed to trying to get him to explore or understanding his personality as far as food um, is concerned. And so when I, with Jay, and so he's a very picky eater, but he also is sensory sensitive. And if I had understood that from the get-go, his uh, choices as far as food is concerned would have made so much more sense to me. So with the second time around with Jess, when I was reading the book, I was like, well, that makes so much sense why mm -hmm. Josh, Josh battled with this and why I battled with that. And then understanding her food personality versus his food personality, it and, and to this day, it actually just gave me such peace of mind because I wasn't like, you have to get this food in, kid. You're going to die if you don't eat it. It was, a, it was more a case of I understand that you have a different approach and a different food personality. So that was so helpful and such a simple way of explaining it. It makes so much sense, right? There are just so many conflicting um, information sources when it comes to all things parenting. Let's be honest here. This is why... Mm. Mothers are ready to do their heads in most of the time. <laughs> Weaning is never to be excluded. There's so many different schools of thoughts, um, but these different personality types make so much logical sense to me. So Meg, mm. that was one of the, the questions that we've, we've gotten from our listeners. When is the right time to introduce solids to your little one? Because some say there's two you know, direct schools of thought. Some say four months and others say six months. And then I would suppose it also depends on whether you're breastfeeding your baby or not. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, this is an area that is just so much conflicting advice and, and moms get very lost in it. And I'm going to give you a little bit of, of background to why it is like that. So, um, you know, the science has kind of spoken about everything over the years. So for the last 50, 70 years, it's spoken about everything from introducing solids from two weeks old all the way till not until nine months old and everything in between. And um, the reality is what we know now is that um, babies shouldn't have solids before four months of age, 17 weeks, because their gut just simply isn't ready for it. So the, the science tells us not to introduce solids before, before four months. The science also tells us that breast milk is the best food for babies until six months. So, so those two things we're absolutely clear on. Breast milk is essential and, um, and, and milk should be the primary diet for babies until six months of age and no introduction under four months of age. More science tells us that if you introduce proteins and allergens too late, you can have an increase in the number of allergies coming up. So that we, those are the things that we really do. We can draw a line in the sand. We know about this. We don't want to introduce allergies too late. We don't want to introduce solids before 17 weeks. And we want milk to be a primary source of nutrition until six months of age. However, when you actually start solids, then becomes something that's very specific to the baby, very specific to their cues, to their sensory personalities, to your milk supply, to who you are as a mom, and everything in between. And so the right time to introduce solids is between 17 weeks and six months of age. And we say six months of age is because if you introduce solids too much after six months of age, you won't have sufficient time to introduce those allergens rapidly enough to avoid 
um, um, allergies. And so in an ideal world, you want to introduce solids sometime between six and uh, four and six months, but to really take it easy and to treat it as an experiment, to treat it as, a, as experiential, and to treat it as a runway that leads up to the introduction of the proteins and, and the um, allergens so that your baby can, won't be a picky eater, because we also know that there's a window period for for picky eating, and there won't be an allergic baby. Um, but the priority in that period between four and six months remains milk, but it is introducing little pieces of solids, whether it's off your plate or more in a process where that you have a bowl for them and you're doing you know, kind of an introduction like we lead you through in weaning sense, which is a little bit more systematic. Either way, it doesn't matter, but do introduce solids in between four and six months of age. And then what is the right food to introduce to your baby? Because, I mean, my pediatrician drove home rice cereal and mm. I didn't feel right about that just it was just a personal preference um do you have a sp and and then when you introduce you know that first food do you have a specific order of introduction because mm. I was taught like this is what okay this is what you do you know everybody's everybody's way is the right way mm. first orange veg then green then non-acidic fruit then protein it was all very systematic yeah um and I don't know, I, yeah. I feel a lot more relaxed now, second time around, if I'm honest. Yeah. So uh, the only thing I would say don't introduce is rice cereal. So, <laughs> sorry for that. Uh -uh. But, uh, it's so interesting, Meg, because a lot of, a lot of pediatricians, like my sister-in-law's currently, um, her baby is two weeks older than Noah. Mm. And um, she, her pediatrician also told her to start the introduction. Also, just like you're explaining, like, like it's a journey or a, a yeah. runway to yeah. uh, introducing those proteins and said the same thing. The rice cereal, just don't. It's just don't. not yeah, worth so it for you. <laughs> I'll tell you why. So if, if you want, if you want to just have a rule of thumb and a principle, um, aim for foods that you pick or see on the ground or, you know, the kind of things that if, if we lived, if we lived in paleo times that we would basically be, be picking up and, and cooking. And the reason for that is that anything that comes out of a box has been highly processed and particularly rice cereals. So, um, so, that, so that's my reason why I do not like fortified cereals or rice cereals or any type of cereals for babies, unless you're making it yourself, which would be something like taking rolled oats and milling it in a, in, or, or grinding it in a, in a um, blender of some sort, making a powder, and then you're going to create the, the um, oats porridge to feed your baby. That's fine. But you, but you know, oats, that, that type of level of processed oats is really very unprocessed. And so that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the minute you're getting into a box of rice cereal, um, it's not ideal. I mean, I actually was reading an article this morning that a lot of these heavy metals that they're talking about in the foods in baby food in America is actually the big culprit is rice cereal. Mm. And the other reason why I don't love rice cereal, and in fact, any grains really as a, as a very first food, is that um, we, we prefer to go with vegetables mixed with a little bit of fat. And the reason for that is that the combination of a veggie and a nice, not highly processed vegetable. So like for instance, a butternut that you've cooked up um, with let's say some um, um, coconut um, oil or some avo mashed into it. That kind of composition of carbohydrates with fats um, really replicates breast milk a whole lot more similarly than, for instance, rice oil, which is just really a pure processed sugar. It's a, it's a mm. processed carbohydrate. So, um, so that's why we say rather go with your vegetables. Um, what we do, actually, Sam, is we don't necessarily say go orange, green, or whatever. We say, like, introduce as much vari variance as possible early on. So you might start the first day with some butternut, but the next day you might have butternut with with um, with 
broccoli and um, and James squash, you know. So you can actually introduce your vegetables and the variety of flavors quite rapidly and make it really flavorful. So instead of just um, steaming your veggies, you can actually roast your veggies, which then has all the sugars come out and makes it, you know, gives it a different, gives the butternut a different flavor. So, um, you know, be experimental, give as much different flavor as possible early on. So on that flavor, and when it comes to a variety of food, should we really be starting out because we we get told and it gets drummed into us that for babies the blander the better um i didn't really follow this rule with with elijah Spe- speaking of you cook when he um got a bit older i suppose he was like 18 months to two years uh we were getting the the you cook packs and he was then fully weaned and we didn't give him any separate meals we used what was there obviously apart from like foods that were quite burny, but he is, and Charlene hates me for it, he's quite the the social butterfly, he eats whatever, the only time that he's picky is when he's actually bored at a mealtime, you know, he, but he, he, he eats pretty much everything, so I'm just wondering, what's the, what's the skinny on um, unspiced versus, uh, and unsalted foods versus introducing a variety of those spices, you know, what's, what's, is it fair, are spices Mm -hmm. fair game actually? Yeah, so nature's so perfect with this because we carry our babies for nine months and everything we eat, those flavors move through to our babies as well. So we almost prep them for what um, their family kind of palate will be like. So if you come from an Indian family with highly spiced foods, um, your baby's probably actually really like to likely to go for it, you know, and to, and to enjoy those highly spiced foods. So um, I would say that going according to your, your family table is a very good rule of thumb, Sam, like you've done. Um, the, but there's another piece to it. And um, in fact, there are a couple of other pieces. The one piece is the baby's actual individual sensory personality. So your social butterflies, which Sam, you say your firstborn is, um, is, is generally a gregarious, they interact gregariously with everything on a sensory level. And that pertains to food as well. So they prefer higher flavor. And that, and that child, I mean, that's like my firstborn. So he was weaned onto rice cereal. And um, because in those days, we knew no better. And um, within, a cu- he loved it, like tucked in first three days, loving rice cereal because he was a social It's nice and sweet it as well, isn't it? A- absolutely. And it wasn't breast milk. So he was just delighted that there was something else in his <laughs> diet. But then after like a week, he became completely fussy and picky. And I thought, oh, there was something wrong with him. And I tried to stop solids and restart. And of course, all it was, was that he was sick of rice cereal. He now wanted to move on to something else. So with your social butterflies, the better way to do it is to actually introduce swiftly new flavors um, a, a new flavor every day and if you're going to do butternut add some cinnamon in so add lots of interest in for your baby who's who's your social butterfly on the other hand your slow to warm up and your sensitive baby don't want the high flavors they want to have the the more kind of neutral food so they might stay on butternut for like a month and then they might like oats porridge and i mean if you're going to give them rice cereal they might like the blandness there so the second principle is um watch watch your baby's personality so first principle watch your family um, palate second one watch your baby's personality um and then also you know the, and, and then final principle is that the more um flavor you do introduce early on the less likely they are to be picky eaters we get this window of opportunity and it happens between about four and nine months where babies are quite receptive to variants 
Um, and then from nine months, and particularly really in the toddler years, much more so, they start to narrow it back down and go, no, 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 I, I only want this. And they start to limit their diet. And if you miss the opportunity when they're little to introduce lots of variety, you then can end up with a very picky eater. So um, you do want to have kind of more flavors and food going in early on. So we, we had quite a few questions on um, picky eaters uh, firstly, whether it's a personality thing, if it's avoidable, and, and you've given great advice on that. But what happens if it's almost too late? One of our listeners has a very picky four-year-old who's on the verge, and this mom is just on the verge of putting her foot down, eat the family meal or starve. Charlene's husband actually came through with a question saying the same thing, saying it, it was Mine's just- five years old, and we've tried to just like, <laughs> you'll eat this or you're going you're gonna to starve. He will literally starve. He is so stubborn, that child. And then we we had a, if I can latch onto that, we had another listener ask, and I quote, since we all know kids don't give a rat's bum about balanced diets, which food groups should we prioritize? Okay, so both of those questions actually feed into each other. That was going to be my answer to the question. So you as parents have got a couple of responsibilities and your children have got responsibilities. So let's start with yours. Um, your responsibility is what, where, and when. And, and that's, that is very important. So the what, um, if you're following a really healthy diet, and um, you know, unfortunately, you've got to be rigid with how healthy it is, you can actually leave your baby's appetite up to them. So let me tell you a little bit about that. If you avoid all processed carbohydrates, such as cupcakes, chips, um, you know, all of those kind of highly processed snacky foods, And every food opportunity is an opportunity for nutrients, for really good nutrients. You will not have to worry as much about how much they eat because the second W is when. And the when is that your child should be having this really wholesome food that I've spoken about, three meals and two snacks a day. In other words, there are five eating opportunities. And if you've got five eating opportunities and all five of those eating opportunities are healthy, and not processed carbohydrates or or processed foods, you end up with a scenario where actually they're probably going to take in their nutrients, even if they eat a very, very small amount. So you can start to relax a little bit on force feeding them and and, and kind of getting them to eat. So what what they eat is important when they eat. Um, And then, and just as part of that, what they eat is if they are filling up on sugary juices and milk, they will have poor appetites. So the things you've got to avoid are, are processed snacks, processed carbohydrates, sugary drinks, so absolutely no fruit juice whatsoever. Children should only have water or tea. Um, and then really limit your milk. So once they're 12 months old, babies only need 300 mils of milk in a day, which basically means kind of a, a bottle in the evening and half a bottle in the morning. So it's a really small amount of milk that needs to go in. Now, if you're following that, if you're limiting their milk, you're giving them five eating opportunities and those eating opportunities are incredibly healthy eating opportunities, then the amount that they actually eat at that mealtime doesn't matter. And at that point, you hand over the how much to them. And I know that, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an A-type mom, so I know very well that it's hard to go, okay, so you've only had one teaspoon of food, I'm going to let you down from the table. I mean, that's a really tricky thing to do. But if they've had good eating opportunities through the day, they will actually be fine. And, um, and in some ways, your husband's right, you know, just let it go. Because I promise you now, children are intuitive eaters as long as they're having the right food. And so they will actually eat the right amount. So what will happen often is that you'll have your little one 
eating, we say they eat for like kings for breakfast, princes for lunch, and paupers for supper. They'll have this big bowl of, of oats porridge with yogurt and banana in the morning. And then they'll have their mid-morning snack, which they'll they'll take quite nicely. And then they'll have a smallish lunch. And then by mid-afternoon, they'll have a little bit. And by supper, they eat nothing at all. And then we all freak because we think, oh, my goodness, if they've eaten nothing at supper, they're going to wake up at night. But in actual fact, you've given them five good eating opportunities. It's all wholesome food. You haven't let them snack on fruit juice or on, on milk. And so you can actually let that one go. And if you follow those principles, nine out of 10 little ones will thrive under those circumstances. There are There is the 10% which we can talk about, but nine out of 10 babies will actually thrive in that way. How do you feel, Meg, about uh, cooking more than one meal? Looking at looking at picking, picky eaters and them choosing t- what they want. You know, a lot of moms are like they start out going, "Not in my house." They'll eat the family meal. They'll, you know, and then what we all do as moms is find that we are making separate meals for our kids. Um, so, as a mom yourself, what's a way of getting around this? Should we just give in and, you know, give them the the cheese sami while the rest of us eat the the curry and rice or you know i i don't know i I feel like sitting down and eating um a meal with your family is is an important bonding time and bonding experience but for most of us it just ends up being one heck of a fight (laughs) (laughs) yeah so look i mean i do think that i don't think there's anything wrong with preparing more than one meal um and so we always say with little ones make sure that there's something on their plate that's a win food so something that you just know they're going to go for and that might be the chicken nugget you know it could be something like that um while the rest of you are having the lovely chicken curry um and then put your challenge foods on the plate and so you might put um a little bit of little pocket of a tablespoon of rice and a little bit of your chicken curry as well. And then your chicken nuggets, let's just say, for example. And um, rule of thumb is what I always did with my kids is to say to them, they don't have to eat anything that they don't want to eat, but they just have to taste one, one, one little bit of it. And if they don't like it once they've tasted it, no problem. And what's very interesting is that some little ones, and especially your slow to warm up little ones, but quite a few little ones actually need between 10 and 14 exposures to a food before they'll um, take to it. Um, sometimes they never will, like maybe aubergine or mushrooms or something they'll never take to. But but by far the most children will actually kind of have a taste, spit it out maybe 14 times. And on the 15th time, if you're cooking it really nice and flavorfully, which is important, they'll actually take to it. So um, I suggest in that circumstance, have your wind food on the table, which might be their wedge of, of toasted sami, um, and then have their challenge foods as well. And they've just got to taste those challenge foods. They don't have to eat them. Um, and that's a good rule of thumb. And then also, you know, kind of having a backup as a, and I mean, some people don't agree with it, but having a backup as a dessert that is really wholesome. So for instance, you've had your, your wedge of toasted sami, you've had your rice, you've had your curry. And then after, after um, supper, we're going to have a poached pear with a little bit of, um, of, of homemade custard on it, for instance, would be a nice example where you've got, you know, some cooked egg going in as well. So you kind of know that there's a little bit of a backup and that's okay, you know, and have that after the meal. So you've got a little bit um, to go with, just like you would if you were in a restaurant, having a kind of two or three course meal that you have little bits of it. But once they've stepped away from the table, not then chasing them around, not then making the scrambled egg half an hour later, you know, not, not going into that type of cycle. So keeping it for meal times, keeping a win food and a couple of different options would be, would be a good idea. You see, my kid dupes me into that. He leaves the table early and mm. just before bed, mommy, I'm hungry. Mm. 
and then he yeah. sits and eats the dinner that he never had where it's mostly like a banana and I go, okay, well, the banana's got potassium. It's going to make you sleep better. So mm. have all the bananas. But it's it's annoying because it, I'm not sure whether it's a, he's hungry or if it's a bedtime yeah. delay tactic. <laughs> Yeah, look, look, that, look that, that's a tricky one. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that little little banana, that little slice of, of apple or that piece of toast just before bedtime. So I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you don't want to get into a habit of uh, like 15 minutes after every meal or half an hour every, after every meal, you kind mm. of chasing them around with the second option. Mm. But that thing just before bedtime, lots of little ones do, you know, to have that little kind of wheat bix block or that or that piece of toast or that, that slice of apple. And, you know, there I would make some allowances if your little one is very, very fussy, so let's say one of the moms said her baby's very fussy and potentially, let's say, is in a failure to thrive. They're just not gaining weight. Um, they are picky eaters. She's done all the principles that I've spoken about already. Then there's nothing wrong with switching supper out for a smoothie. Um, and, and you'll find in the recipe book, um, Sam, that there's a great recipe that, that I really, really recommend for smoothies. It's, it's um, quinoa, spinach. Um, banana and berry smoothie. So it tastes absolutely divine, but you can hear from the ingredients, it's packed with nutrition. And so there's nothing wrong, particularly, you know, if your baby's, if your toddler's overstimulated, overtired, end of the day, they just can't face sitting down at a meal, giving them a smoothie, nothing wrong with that. Um, and the same goes for something like Pediasure, which is a, which is a good shake that, you know, if your child is really not getting their nutrients in, you can give them that the last part of the day. So I know what it's like to have a picky eater. I know how you grasp at straws. Start with the principles of healthy eating and then have your backstops that I've spoken about. That's very good advice. That uh, With Josh, Josh was a very, very picky eater. There was like, the days would go by where he would literally only eat one thing, one type of thing, and it had zero nutritional value in it. But I was yeah. just like, you need food in your stomach. Yeah. And I, I, he was on the cusp of failure to thrive. He was quite underweight, very skinny. Um, and I did have to make use of pediatrician if he wouldn't eat to just, just fill up his stomach and just give him those vitamins and minerals that he, that he needed. But for that mom asking, it doesn't last forever because he's five now. Yeah. He's still quite picky, but I did, I did follow these suggestions that Meg, some of these suggestions that Meg just gave and it works because Josh is, he's much more, he explores now. He will taste other foods. We try with the challenge foods. We give the one food and then give the challenge foods. He'll try them. They do experiment as time goes by. So mm. all hope is not lost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to say there, with regards to the PDS show, one thing that's very important is you've still got to stick to your same principle of how much milk in a day. Yes. So you can't replace every meal with PDS show. Otherwise, they would eat solids. Yes. Um, so it's only 300 it counterproductive. Yes. It does. And so we'd only really recommend PDS show just before bedtime as the bedtime bottle. So, Meg, yeah. I am hearing you say um, – you mentioned poached pears, and it all sounds really lovely, even even toast before bedtime. But I'm, as a mom, going, oh, my gosh, it's time, 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 time. And I, like with Elijah, I was happy to puree all the foods myself, uh, steam, do all the right things. And now with Noah, I'm going, I have double the responsibility and yeah. the same amount of time. So what would your advice be just in terms of that time constraint that that moms go through? Because maybe like on a good in a good week, I'll be able to like make a, a nice healthy dessert twice in that week. Yeah. So um, look, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, I would definitely make batches of food. There's no doubt. You know, even if you're making spaghetti bolognese for the family, double the recipe, freeze half of it, freeze it in little tubs that you can just pull out. Definitely bulk, bulk. 
um, uh, cook. That's the first thing, particularly in the early days of weaning. I mean, you're feeding a tablespoon of butternut. You can't possibly steam one cube every day, you know, clearly. So, so definitely um, ma- kind of manufactured batches at home. The second thing is I do like backup foods. So for instance, that quick and easy um, food that you can, that, that you've got you prepared baby foods. Um, I just want to caution people that, you know, there is just so much rubbish out there. Every mom and her brother is creating baby food in their kitchen and selling it um, with beautiful branding. Um, having gone through what I've gone through with you cook over the last couple of months, I can just tell you that manufacturing baby food is a science. It really is. So just be very conscious of which baby foods you've got, um, you know, in, in the, in the fridge or the freezer, but I would have a couple of backup little, little meals so that, you know, if you, if you're on the run, if you just can't face it, if you have that day where you just can't do like three dinners that evening and you and your husband are having curry, you can pull something out of the fridge, you know, mm. that's, that's a quick and easy, easy fix. So be kind to yourself, you know, but definitely cooking in batches is important as well. What are we looking for in terms of like warning signs when looking at packaged foods? Are we looking at the salt content, sugar content, all of that? We're we just trying to keep it a minimum you know, at best? Yeah, so yeah, that's a very good question. So first of all, and you actually asked it earlier on about what can babies start on and and spices, please no salt, that's very important. So we don't want salt added into any baby food at all in the first year of life, their kidneys can't cope with it. And it really is dangerous for them. So so no salt added in would be important. And I would be looking at making sure that you use a reputable brand that is going to use um, really, really good ingredients in the first place, because wonderful producing the food, um, you know, perfectly and, and, and having the right recipe. But if you putting nonsense in you're getting nonsense out so you know really try and go for it doesn't necessarily have to be organic because organic is such a misnomer in the world at the moment but certainly um i do think that you, you do need to have food and ingredients that have come from a farm where you can where you with, with a reputable company that goes right this this is we stand behind the food that we make um, and then also just have a look at the number of ingredients on the packaging if, if it's got 59 ingredients don't touch it do not touch it. If it has got E numbers and preservatives and an ingredient that doesn't look like it's written in English, don't touch it. Um, <laughs> the ingredients that are written on the outside of a baby food and, and baby food and packaging should be very highly regulated if you're using a, a reputable source because um, they should have, it has to go through the regulations. And there on the packaging, it'll say the ingredients in the order, starting with the one that has the highest quantity. And that's what you want to look for. So that's also very important. And then actual production process. Um, you know, I don't like long, long shelf life baby foods because I know mm. that the process that that will have had to gone through in order to be preservative free sitting on a shelf for six months is going to be something that maybe takes all the nutrients out of it. Mm. So um, th- w- there's a new system coming into South Africa, um, which New Cook is involved with, um, which is a high pressure system as opposed to high temperature. Um, and it increases the shelf life just by a couple of days by putting the baby food through or well, the food through a very um, high pressure system. And that's the sort of thing that you're going to want to be looking for is, you know, h- how is it manufactured? What are the ingredients? And is it a reputable source? And, um, and then just avoiding things that just look like it's been home cooked, but actually hasn't gone through, you know, m- more rigid testing, I, I would suggest. Meg, weaning sense uh, drives home the importance of an early introduction to good and wholesome foods um, to set children in good stead for the future. It's everything we've discussed here. 
And in the book, you mentioned pregnancy nutrition. Uh, and on this <laughs> podcast, we're all about embracing the real. I might have had a few too many toasted cheeses in both my pregnancies. <laughs> I think Same here, guilty wrong. as charged. <laughs> we're, we're also all about um, no judges on this podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it stands to reason that breast milk is tailored for our babies but a lot of moms aren't um giving their babies breastful in that yeah, yeah. or they choose or they choose not to you know exactly uh, and in pregnancy it's very difficult for us to to have all the the colors of the rainbow foods you know i've just i've just been there and i really set out trying my my best but i failed on many an occasion so basically what i'm asking is is it is it ever too late to turn a corner and to just bring in a, a couple of healthier decisions that work for your family? And what are some easy ways to get on track? Yeah, so look, I mean, first of all, with regards to the very high standards we set ourselves as moms, I think it's so important that we realize that the most important thing that happens in a child's upbringing is actually just being loved. You know, whether you breast or bottle feed, whether or not you give birth, how, how you give birth, whether or not you have a limited diet only to two cheese toasted sandwiches in your pregnancy, those things actually all come out in the wash as long as your little one is, is loved. And that's just very, very important to put out there. All parents start off with the best intents and we all do the best we can. And that's the bottom line. Um, having said that, if things go awry, so you know you just made a million mistakes all the way along and you just know it because then you suddenly get your hands on a book and that tells you that those are all the wrong things to do, two very important principles. One is please don't take on the guilt. For me, it is the most wasted emotion in the world. So tick that box and say that was that was done and dusted and then turn a corner the next day and set your standards high again for me I have no problem with making new year's resolutions and only sticking to them for a month because at least I'm making them at least I've got the intent <laughs> to do something um, you know as a gold standard I know that I don't always achieve it so um, one of the wonderful things with weaning sense and it was actually quite a well-known influence in South Africa she had a very very picky very picky six-year-old um, and she attended a couple of my workshops and afterwards, she came up to me and she said, you know what, I'm going to take her back onto the weaning sense journey. And I'm going to start her with pureed foods, with smoothies, with pureed foods, with high variety, according to her um, sensory personality. And she very, very successfully turned her child around completely at six wow. years old. And she wow. actually wrote a blog on it, which was really great. And she blogged her journey. And um, so it's never too late, ever, to get your family onto a good um, eating plan. Um, we've all done it. We've all shifted our eating plans. I mean, our household, my first two children grew, grew up with Coke and Fanta in the fridge. You know, no kidding. So my did I. Child, <laughs> I. I don't think she's even seen a Coke and Fanta in the fridge. So we all have made adjustments to our lives, and, um, and that's okay. So I think, you know, once you get your hands on some good science, you can make the adjustment, no problem. Oh, man. Charlene, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel a lot better, but uh, I, I know that also if you had spoken to me about this a year or two ago, I would have just felt like the worst adult human being in the world and that I failed and, 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 but I have, I have seen the advice that you've given here. And if I've, if I do implement it, it does work and you can turn a corner because things have changed for us. We're nowhere near I, where I would like to be, but it's small victories. When, when Josh says to me, I, mom, I'd like a yogurt. I'd like an apple. I'd like a banana. Mm. I'm like, yes, yes. Well, this is where we're going. And then just last night, Jessie asked me if she could have dessert. And I said, well, we don't have many options. What would you like? And she said, I want something that's healthy for my body. And I was like, oh. yes, this is a win. Yeah. We're winning. So it's then I can put win. the healthy options on the table and she can choose. So 
uh, I'm grateful for what you've said, Meg, because it does it does make you feel very unhaha about your your <laughs> mistakes and your bad choices. And you're quite right. Let's just knock the guilt and not even give it a chance to enter into our minds because as as moms we carry guilt every day and it's unnecessary. Absolutely. I'm yeah, fully yeah. on that page. Guys, listeners, you can find Meg Fora all over the show, across all social media platforms. This is one very busy woman, um, but her availability astounds me. Thank you so much, Meg, uh, for for coming on. We are going to link everybody up to uh, where they can find you, to your website, and to where they can buy your books. And uh, if I were you guys, I'd be keeping an eye on all the amazing free weaning and first foods content that you can get over at uh, You Cook. You can go on their websites or just follow them on Instagram at youcook.baby. I was having a look at all the videos and um, Instagram lives you've done so far and I just, I'm, I'm hooked on this content. It's, it's amazing. and Yeah, it's really good. So helpful. Yeah, can't thank you enough for coming on The Great Equalizer, Meg. Thanks so much, Sam. Thanks, Charlene. It was really lovely to chat to you both. So here's a bit of scoop for you all. YouCook will be launching their Weaning Sense range on 4 March 2021, which is just a few short days from when this episode is released. And I cannot wait to see what this product line has in store for us, Charlene. I'm so excited. I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see what the, the recipes and the stuff look like because I wonder if it is stuff that I could actually cook for my two here at home. I'm sure it is. Look, I've, I kind of thought, let me give myself a break and when my second rolls around, I'm not going to force myself to puree foods, but I'm actually quite looking forward to getting into it. I even made the mistake of saying to Ray, we haven't been eating as much vegetables as we should, but maybe when Noah starts weaning, then we'll we'll get into it. So let's see how that goes. I'll keep you posted. As always, how about we keep talking? Yeah, listeners, uh, please, if you want to chat with us or you want to weigh in on something or you have any additional questions or comments or even criticisms, maybe you're having a bad day and you need to take 24 hours like Sam did. Mm -hmm. If you want to cry or just laugh, please DM us a voice note on Instagram at The Great Equalizer Podcast, or you can record one on your phone and email it to us also, info at thegreatequalizer.co.za. Also, please feel free, as always, to tag us in your Instagram or Facebook posts or send us some content that you're loving. I'm forever just flooding Charlene's WhatsApp with links to articles. I'm like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? What do you think? What do you know? Um, We love seeing what you guys are into as well. And we want to know what you want to chat about. Yes, your support is so important to us. Um, every time you share any of our posts on social media or you interact with us or you send us a DM, it makes our hearts not only warm, but it really makes us realize that we're not doing this for nothing. We are actually impacting on a community of moms out there. Every like, every love, every comment, every share means the world to us. Please keep them coming. Please keep on doing it because um, moms give birth to babies on the daily. And if you spread the word, you might just be helping a mom who needs it very badly that day. And to help uh, moms find us on the World Wide Web, please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and to rate us on Facebook. That's how we will get seen. 
And remember, for your sake as well, hit that subscribe button so that you know when we release new content. Exactly. And the more we're seen, the better this podcast can do and the better we can serve you. And so, Charlene, that's it for this week. Until next time, keep your mom game strong. For more on today's show, please head on over to our website at www.thegreatequalizer.co.za or catch us on Instagram at The Great Equalizer Podcast or on Facebook. If you want something a little more personal, email us at info at thegreatequalizer.co.za and we'll get back to you.